Bonjour, je m'appelle Bretagne et aujourd'hui nous parlons de saison. Alors venez et prenez un verre. Ne vous inquiétez pas, ce n'est pas tout en français. What she said, except it's pronounced Brittany. Welcome to Have a Drink, a show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany D. Walker. I'm Justin Fraser. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. Oh, guys, my lips are still covered in popcorn butter. <laughs> oh. Uh, okay. That sounds like a personal problem, but... We finally went to see uh, Blade Runner. Finally, like it's been out for weeks. <laughs> well, Months. Keep in mind... You went you... to go watch... You went to go watch... Uh, Blade Runner, the the movie with Harrison Ford, where you know from like 1980, whatever, it was in theaters, right? <laughs> no, the 30 years, say, the 30 years later sequel. Until... <laughs> uh, remember to get the large popcorn because you will need to use it as a raid bucket once you've emptied it, because <laughs> this movie is like three hours. It, it is Jeez. long. It it's it's a Ridley Scott movie. I mean, you just kind of have it's to a, expect yeah. that because the man doesn't know how to stop a movie. It didn't yeah. seem it, it didn't seem like it was dragging on, which was nice because I was actually kind of worried about that. It's really you say he was bad at pacing. I just said he doesn't no, no, know no. how to stop a movie. You yeah. kind of don't want it to end, but at the same time, it is physically exhausting. Oh yeah, like, I am still afraid of trying to watch this movie because. We were there in the nice recliner seats, all reclining. I mean, I had my legs tensed for, like, the last 45 minutes. Oh, God. And I went to stand up afterwards, like, oh, God, my legs. <laughs> it it was intense, but uh, but not, like, suspenseful thriller intense. It's very hard to explain, but it was... It is an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, it's it was very heartbreaking. <laughs> it is... No, it, it is the most depressing movie of the year, but it's fantastic. <laughs> I just feel like it answers many questions from the first one that I didn't want answered just by its very existence. And so... No, it answers them and then throws them back in your face, wipes its ass with them, and then gives you brand new questions. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe I will watch it at some point. But it did but... ruin many uh, Philosophy 101 classes. <laughs> oh, they did? Yeah. Okay. But, uh, no, they just, like, empirically come down on the is Deckard a replicant thing that... No, I, I, do you want it spoiled? I can spoil it. No, no. They don't want it spoiled on the show. They come so down hard just, on it, and they just, like, wipe their asses with all those theories. Let me just say that Ridley Scott came down with his answer yeah. about 20 years ago <laughs> during an interview and just said, yeah. Yeah, he was one. <laughs> like, he wasn't being ambiguous about it. He was like, no, that, that's what that was supposed to mean. And I was like, well, I mean, let's just ignore what he says and just have our nice little debates because that's more fun. But mm, Yeah. 
No, it is a great movie. Fantastic. Go see it. Yes. Because uh, nobody else is right now. No. It's right. not doing well <laughs> it in is, the box office. Yeah, it is really? tanking. Is it doing better? Because the last I heard, it was not. No, it is tanking. It is doing bad. Because okay. who wants to, like, oh, it's Friday night and I have, you know, a date. I'm a young kid and I may want to go do something after this. Don't want to go sit down for a three-hour movie. <laughs> a three-hour movie. Well, and the first one didn't do well in the box office either. Like, it, that one found, like, a cult following after the fact. Yeah. Uh, I also maintained the, the most interesting part about these movies is the, or the, for the first movie was the set design. Mm. Oh, yeah, the like, set just, just just how everything looked in this version of the future, you're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Sets are still uh, gorgeous, and immediately when we got home, I was like, get in that soundtrack, because holy balls. Uh, it's good. It's uh, dark. It's like, it's calming, and then, like, it just switches to, like, balls-to-the-wall intense. Not, like, Mad Max intense, but, like, the music just puts you unease. And that's, no, that's another thing. You, you are very uneasy through specific scenes... Involving two characters that every time that they are on screen together, you're just like really weirded out, or all of us were like, "God, that's so weird." Okay, well, that's enough talk about about that. Anybody else do anything? Anybody? Um, Casey, I got to mark two more breweries or two more uh, places off my list, states Mm -hmm. off my list. I was able to go through. uh, I was in. Chicago this week, so I was able to knock off uh, Illinois, and I was at this bar at the hotel. First off, the Palmer House Hotel, outrageously expensive, and the hotel room was smaller than the hotel room I had on, or the the room I had on the cruise ship. And those of you that have been on cruises know that is small. Hmm. Uh, Actually, not all of us are white people, Rich. We don't know, right? (laughs) Just, just. Uh, no, I do not have three daughters, but um, it, it was large enough to fit the king size bed inside the room, and there was enough room on one side for uh, luggage, and it was up against the other. Like the door would open and almost hit the bed. Like, I thought you were going to say like it's big enough for the bed, and on one side you could you could climb into the bed. Yeah, and the other side was against the wall. It is. Yes, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah i had to stand inside the bathroom to take the picture of it, it so was, you were it in one of those japanese pod hotels oh <laughs> uh, yes um other than the bed size that's that's pretty much it and at 300 bucks a night i wasn't paying it was my company oh my 300 oh bucks God. a night and 70 dollars a night for parking the last night there i was like nope i'm done with the day i was done at like 3 4 o'clock i said i'm going over into indiana and just staying at some like hundred dollar place and wow. getting out of town. So I was able to go over to a new brewery called, or a, I think they're newish, um, called Off uh, Off Square Brewing right there in northern Indiana. Hmm. And they had some amazing, they had good beers, pretty good beers. Mm-hmm. They had some amazing food. Um, steak sandwich with Ooh. like these really good sweet caramelized fries on a giant bun. Like it was huge. I couldn't eat it all. Um, and then the truffle fries with Parmesan. Oh. Oh. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. oh. So you, uh, that so you were in delicious. Chicago and didn't make it to off color. Uh, I did not. I made it out of the hotel like I was there for two days and made it out of the hotel. Maybe I think I had one one meal outside the hotel at uh, Bar Louie. And... I was going to say he got out of that hotel like it was a hard day's night, just <laughs> chasing. A... That was that's um, one of the things. 
this one I was on my own, like working the booth and everything on my own. And so uh, literally just got there at about 10 o'clock and left about six o'clock. And then I had a few meetings afterwards. So um, I barely got lunch through those times. And for a guy my size, that's something. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I wish I had had more time to spend in Chicago. I'm getting less and less a fan of Chicago the older I get. I don't know. It's just seems like there's too many homeless people. Not, I mean, that's a, that's a systemic issue. That's, too. Like, not, you don't think it's yeah. just Chicago? No, but it, it just seems they're more more prevalent than than most places, or at least right in front of the hotels. Now. Well, it's not like it's not like New York in the '90s where Rudy Giuliani is, you know, turning him into Starlight Green. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's how they clean up Times Square. I gotta yeah. say, it seems like we got more bang for our buck hotel wise in downtown denver when we stayed at the renaissance yeah like never we were complaining about prices oh, again. we were paying under 300 a night and we were downtown in the middle of everything in a massive room luxury hotel like and parking per night was like 25 bucks for downtown uh, denver. that's that's another thing we we talked about it during the video show so go and watch that if you want to learn more about what happened at gabf it's it's the last video episode um, that's where we talk about GABF. But the out by the airport, the Denver airport, uh, it's a nine dollar, um, nine dollar not shuttle, but a, a light rail train ride to the downtown. Um, you get right in the middle of downtown, and the hotels out there at the airport are hundred bucks a night, hmm. and oh. it's it's forty five minutes to ride downtown for nine dollars, no parking fee, forty five bucks a night. And if you're one of those people that likes to partake in the um offerings that denver has there's there's right there beside the airport there's like a, a dispensary right there so yeah, yeah. i don't know there's if that's the only reason you're going don't spend 300 to be downtown hmm. yeah that's fair all right i think we've got uh, some announcements i think we do right so um our next video episode is going to be uh so we're moving this is our start to move to Saturdays for videos. Um, Saturday, October 21st at 9 p.m. Sorry. The Great Immigration. <laughs> uh, the 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And that is going to be covering the Alaskan Brewing Pack. Um, I don't know if that one has a special name. Um, no, it's just they don't do a seasonal thing. Just a, like just it's, a pack. I, it's, I call it the Amos Pack. Yes. yes that's uh, how we refer to it. And we will have special guest. <laughs> Uh, Ethan Kane, also known as Amos from Ritual Misery. Um, We're just slowly getting all of Ritual Misery on, yeah, just one by yeah. one, and then we need them all on a collective episode. <laughs> See, maybe <laughs> we should get Kent on like the audio episode when we take cover Trappist. Ooh, ooh, mm. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Um, but yeah, yeah, so that that's uh, October twenty first, and then um, the next audio episode is going to be posted around October 31st, and that is going to be on Smoked Beers. I'm excited for that one. Mm -hmm. That is, like, one of my favorite styles. Already picked out it, my beer for it, that. It is an episode we are going to do. <laughs> I, I, I have no no ill or or ill feelings about it. I'm just like, okay, we're doing Smoked Beer next. I have no just strong feelings list. one way or the other. Tell my wife I said hello. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's, uh, um, the next video will be fun, and we're going to be on vacation for that one as well. So that's like all I, caution to the wind. And we have we already bought uh, bonus beers that everyone will have that just took home gold medals from GABF. Hmm. So that'll be uh, that'll be fun. Yeah, I would just be ending my vacation. Actually, I am. I started it as of uh, two thirty today. 
Nice. So. Yay. All right. I feel, I feel relaxed already. Right. <laughs> cheers to that. And let's go on into some news. Uh, All right. Uh, first story. I West... feel like I'm going to I feel like I'm really going to uh, uh, empathize with that sound clip as this episode <laughs> goes on. Yeah. Uh, West Coast Brewery tells brewer beer maker to change name of hipster apocalypse. A West Coast brewery owned by Anheuser-Busch parent company is demanding that a brewer beer maker... Why do they have to phrase it that way? That's just bad. Uh, change the name of its signature IPA. Tim Barrel Brewing in Bend, Oregon sent a letter to Mason's Brewing Company owner uh, Chris Morley demanding his brewery stop using the name Hipster Apocalypse for its flagship India Pale Ale. The Oregon so brewery... I, ha- I, I have a new question before we get too deep into the story. All right. What are the odds that the Mason's Brewing Company has some form of Masonic symbol on their hmm. on their stuff? Possibly on the. <laughs> like, glass like, I, I saw that. I was like, I guess maybe they're just Masons because the guy's name is Chris Morley. I was expecting the guy to be named Mason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Let's look it up. Uh, okay, yeah, sorry. I was just like, let's do. Nope, they do not. Oh. Oh. Boring. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um. The Oregon Brewery has brewed an Apocalypse IPA since 2009. It shares a single word in common, so they're suing them. Uh, Morley, <laughs> right? Who was in the process? Yeah, because I'm just sitting there going like, okay. And now where's the where's the one that's going to cause the lawsuit? <laughs> Morley, who was in the process of filing for a trademark when Tim Barrel contested the name, said Wednesday he plans to challenge the request, even if it means spending thousands of dollars. I'm not backing down. It's our most popular beer, he said. This is another great example of a corporation trying to keep the little guy down. But you it know, could... everyone that's involved in a lawsuit says that, but this really actually kind of feels like the case this time. <laughs> this there is, is one word. This is literally the case, yeah. Uh, but it could be an uphill battle. In 2014, Tim Barrel was purchased by Beer Titan, ABM Bev, owner of Budweiser. Wait, they're, no, they're not. This article, Corona? They don't own Corona. Wait, no. who? They don't. Okay, so the way this is worded is ABM Bev. Owner of Budweiser, Corona, and Stella Artois. Someone messed up when they were fact-checking there. Yeah. Oh, wait, are they? Are no. we sure? Oh, wait, wait, wait. They have... Because of InBev? No. Um, InBev does not... That's... Uh, Constellation Brands. Constellation Brands owns Corona. Oh, yeah, they own Corona. Are we sure? Yeah, but, uh, yep. but I think they have something to do with with Corona. I'm going they back do. to their... So, ownership versus... So, okay. Grupo Modelo which is the parent company in Mexico is owned by AB InBev. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, Corona is on their website. Oh, well. Yeah, so but, Con- Constellation Brands Constellation. is is a different, uh, that it's a different distribution group. Because uh-huh. um, the way it works, it's it's really weird because you've got the you've got the people that distribute it and the people that actually own it and it, each country is a little bit different. Yeah. So, um, so like, uh, Modelo is one of those things that's, I think distributed by constellation brands, but maybe completely owned underneath. So Corona the, underneath, underneath AB InBev, AB InBev Cor- international. Okay. Corona and so is because yeah. of, because of our laws inside the U S they, they split. Okay, yeah, yeah, so Corona's distributed in the U.S. by Constellation. Gotcha. Yes. So I was actually pulling up both of them. I was like, yes, no, because they, in fact, have all, and in their brands, the Modelo, Funky Buddha, Ballast yeah. Point, Corona. 
all a shell game. Yep. It right, really well. is. <laughs> Today well. I learned. Yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, about a decade-old Tim Barrel Brewing Company also has pubs in Portland, Oregon, Idaho, California, and Colorado. Representatives from Tim Barrel and ABM Bev did not respond to calls or emails for comment. Tim Barrel Brewing has claimed that Mason has violated state and federal trademark laws by using the word apocalypse, according to the letter from Tim Barrel's California-based attorney. So wait, doesn't... Uh, it was Apocalypse Brewing yeah. in uh, Kentucky. Yeah. So I was just like, we have a brewery that's just called Apocalypse. Yeah. What have they not gotten a cease and desist or something? Like, oh, I, no, say they're uh, not I have no idea on this one. So I, I uh, want to say they're not big enough, but I've never I've heard of Mason's card before somewhere. either. I can maybe call. <laughs> call them for comment. Uh, yeah, see, see what's going on there. I mean, I'm sure she had had comments, calls from other people too. Yeah. So um, I'll have to look and see. The Oregon uh, a little bit further down in this article. Uh, just says Apocalypse is not an uncommon name yeah. in uh, the beer world. Mm-hmm. Uh, accessing Untapped uh, on his smartphone, Morley pulled up at least 10 other beers <laughs> across the country with Apocalypse in the name. Nice. <laughs> yeah, other main breweries have fought similar battles before. Shipyard Brewing in Portland sued Missouri-based Longboat Brewing Company in May over the name of its Shiphead Beer. Uh, if the issue is taken to court, it could take tens of thousands of dollars and likely more than a year to settle, Morley said. But so far, he's using the dispute as a way to market his brewery in good fun. That's the thing. Like, okay, are they going to lose any um, – is Tambaro going to lose any uh, dollars because of this? Probably not. No. Is this really going to hurt the other company? Probably so. Are they really that similar? Uh, probably not. Like, this is the the issue I have with Bells. I don't know. Yeah, this is going to hurt Masons in the long run, but their name is now out there. We now know it. <laughs> Every, <laughs> you listening, you know the name Masons. None of us had a... We didn't have a clue before. Now we do. Now we know. All right, let's move know. on to the next story. Uh, Laguanitas moves into Wrigley Field, taking over some Goose Island tap handles. Not just some. <laughs> they, they stole first, second, and third. Yeah, and they are rounding home. Uh, just in time for the playoffs, the Cubs have made one of their most significant trades of the season. Laguanitas IPA has replaced nearly 30 Goose Island draft handles throughout Wrigley Field. I mean, I feel like this is going to get them better better traction than getting a new midfielder. So, <laughs> Well, Goose Island beer remains available at the ballpark and is still carried by vendors through the aisles. The move to Laguanitas has was a sudden and seismic shift at a stadium long known for its allegiance to Anheuser-Busch products. Goose Island, founded in Chicago in 1988, was sold to Anheuser-Busch in 2011. Lagunitas is owned by rival Heineken. The change at Wrigley Field was oddly swift, according to multiple industry sources. Just before the end of the Cubs' regular season, the ballpark's concession management partner, uh, Levy Restaurants, ordered more than 100 kegs of Lagunitas IPA, to have on tap within 48 hours for the September oh. 29th game against the Cincinnati Reds. Hey, Reds! Hey, Too bad they how'd, suck. how that game go for, for the Reds? Yeah. I'm willing to bet they lost. They probably lost really Definitely effing suck. bad because they suck really effing bad. Uh, the beer replaced Goose Island's 312 Urban Wheat Ale and Green Line Pale Ale. Lost by one. <laughs> now, oh. the next day, they lost by nine. But... <laughs> 
About 50 kegs of Lagunitas IPA sold briskly during the next three games, according to sources. The beer will remain on tap for the first home playoff game against the Washington Nationals on Monday afternoon. Such a radical change to a ballpark's food and drink lineup typically happens far more deliberately and during the offseason. Uh, in a statement, Levy Restaurant said it looked at the opportunity to try something new at Wrigley Field for the playoffs, using data and guest insights to determine what appeals uh, most to Cubs fans. We identified Lagunitas as a key brand. We added Lagunitas to 27 taps at select locations at the ballpark. That's Honestly, this kind of has to hurt Goose Island's feelings because, you know, Lagunitas is yeah, – they're from uh, – Goose Island's from Chicago. Yeah. And that's... the Cubs – like have you know being at the Cubs, like oh yeah awesome yeah. that's you no know, and then like Lagunitas comes in they're just like but what about us guys nobody wants to drink metal well Goose Island okay let's talk this okay this article's from Chicago Tribune and when we get we're gonna put up the uh, homebrew stuff where we also talked about GABF but also brought up the Chicago Tribune piece they did about uh, Goose Island being snubbed out of GABF this year. Yeah. When that really wasn't the case, but obviously Chicago Tribune's like, hey, our hometown boys aren't able to go to the big show this year, and we're, our feel goods are hurt. But in this, it's like, no, the it's like the whole industry is completely turning its back on Goose, <laughs> and like this. Although is, now I want to write an article about how I was snubbed by J G A B F, how I, I didn't get to go. Yeah, I didn't yeah. get to go either. I, I need. Where's where's my Floyd County Times article about local man <laughs> unable to attend giant beer festival? There we go. Feel good's hurt. He's left Holler. thirsty. Boy from Holler not allowed to go to Great American Beer Festival. <laughs> That's what it would say. Multiple, <laughs> multiple sources confirm details of the change on the condition of anonymity due to the way uh, they described as a sensitive situation between some of the industry's biggest power brokers. Chicago-based Levy Restaurants handles concessions at nearly 200 arenas, stadiums, ballparks, and convention centers from coast to coast. Anheuser-Busch is the subsidiary of Anheuser-Busch, MBF, uh, the world's largest beer company. Anheuser-Busch signed a lucrative long-term marketing deal with the Cubs in 2013, replacing Old Style as the beer sponsor. Wow, that's kind of a harsh change. For one of the most recognizable sports teams in America. Kind of harsh beer. <laughs> yeah, really. Woo. Why wasn't I going to Wrigley Field getting some old style? <laughs> Wrigley Field has had a large Budweiser sign in right field ever since. Wow, yeah. Uh, the marketing deal by law cannot equate to dominating a beer menu. That's usually the outcome. So, yeah, this is, I think it's showing a big shift in what people are drinking. I mean,. Even though Lagunitas isn't craft anymore either, it's still decidedly. What? Yeah. What? Lagunitas? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, gonna say we, oh, we've yeah. literally talked about that on the show, but no, it's still decidedly more craft than Goose is anymore. So. Yeah. No, this is. I. <laughs> Lagunitas has, I guess, more. More good feelings towards them than. Yeah. Then I feel like Goose has, at least by us, we, we've 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 been really harsh on Goose lately, Let's and I'm pack. sorry. Yeah. We but gave them why? A, we gave them a good chance, and they we did. They disappointed us. Hmm. I just like I, I don't know. Like it, it it feels bad to to constantly keep ragging on Goose Island, but at the same time, like I mean, 
you're you you know you got bought by AB InBev. Your stuff hasn't been t- didn't taste good when we had it. I sorry. Like, I mean, sorry, I'm not. The, so, I'm not more sorry. I guess. Well, we're still clamoring over Bourbon County Stout, but well, beyond that, y- yes, yes, and um, <laughs> I mean, we we do, but is it is it legitimate? I mean, are there other? Is it marketing? Is it because we know that we can get it? There's enough of it out there, and we know that there's going to be a line. I mean, it's good. It's it's not. I don't know. Right? Would you put it in the top twenty beers out there that you've had? I've had. I don't think I've even had it. Probably so. not. I mean, the barley wine. I probably would. That that's my thing. I like the barley wine. It was pretty good. I don't like barley but wine, but so. <laughs> it was different. It was it was a sweeter barley wine. I don't know. It was it was, it was different from other barley wines. Yeah. Now not is the powerful. Bourbon County Stout better than KBS? What? I'm, I'm just asking. Oh, do do you? She's asking, do you like Bourbon County Stout yeah, is... more than KBS? No, no, heck no. Okay. Uh, KBS yeah. is smoother to me than yeah. Bourbon County. All right, before we start a civil war, uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to our next story, which is all about swag. Uh, swag. Unlock, unlock the swag. America's top sour and wild producers form a guild. So this past Tuesday in Denver, uh, I can never say their name, even though I've had a few other beers. Trev, T-R-V-E. Trev. 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 I wanted to go there because they're like a heavy metal thing, like uh, Three Floyds is. Like, oh, they just blast death metal Mm. throughout their tap room. Uh, Trev Brewing Company's uh, Acid Temple, a group of sour and wild ale producers, gathered to discuss the future of the category and the formation of a new organization called the Sour and Wild Ales Guild, or SWAG. <laughs> the list of attendees was noteworthy. Lauren and Eric uh, Salazar from New Belgium, Jason Perkins from Allegash, Sarah and James Hort of Black Project, Jay Goodwin of The Rare Barrel, which they got uh-huh. big press from their presence at GABF. <laughs> uh, their stuff was delicious. <laughs> Uh, Jeffrey Stuffings of Jester King and Corey King of Side Project and many more. So these are that's like it's quite the list. Yeah, that's who's who of sours. Oh, they got a picture of them all too. Yeah, uh, the purpose according to a small according to so a, many beards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the small group I met with. Hey, this article is from uh, Good Beer Hunting. Uh, they met with at Goodzer in the city's Five Points neighborhood. Uh, the point is to push the education quality and nomenclature of sour beer in America. Uh, the sour on sour discussion at CBC in Philly two years ago was the impetus to form a guild. Stuffing said, uh, referring to the panel discussion led by Lauren Salazar and Good Beer Hunting alongside Goodwin, uh, Andrew Emerton from New Belgium, and Brandon Jones of Yazoo and Milk the Funk. <laughs> Yeah, can't make that. Bring in the milk, bring in the funk. (laughs) Which was attended by a couple hundred brewers. Uh, This will try to address at least partially some of those issues. Uh, This will pick up where the slack left off, uh, referring to the collaboration app community GBH started after the CBC panel. Uh, The guild concept got a second bump during the Wicked Weed Invitational from 2016 (laughs) because the 2017 got canceled. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I wonder why. 
Uh, when a room full of sour producers discuss similar topics, uh, says Stuffings, we started talking about establishing a guild, not a whole of lot. calamitous intent. <laughs> not a whole lot happened after that. Uh, we were all too busy. But we met with Aaron Jones of Burial Beer Company at Fonta Flora this past summer, and Aaron volunteered to help create some momentum. This week, that momentum came to a head. While the original panel was about nomenclature, how you name things and talk about them, uh, the guild will be about advocacy, more of a democratic community of sour brewers who can help each other out. When asked how labeling sour beers and advocacy differ, Stuffings explained one is more enforcement, one is more helpful. The difference between a law and a guideline. A place for conversation to live. Uh, this perspective... Okay, I could... Instead of establishing, you know, the Reinheitsgebot for sour beers yeah. in the U.S., it's it's like, hey, maybe these are some things we can talk about. Like this, this is generally how this goes. Yeah, one of the things that spurred all this. So this perspective may have fresh uh, learnings. I'm going to mispronounce a bunch of stuff coming up, guys. Maybe Casey, you can correct me. Uh, built into it from the recent debate regarding Jester King's own foray into nomenclature with the, go on, Casey, the method goose how. Yeah, goose is about goose. as easy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, certification. The brewery sought to institute geese. 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 <laughs> you gotta say oh, it said... like that. Geese. Geese. <laughs> hey, you goose. But they were. Uh, Borat was in the Goonies. Yes, they were oh. trying to uh, method goose certification. The brewery sought to institute for American producers of lambic and goose-inspired beers. After a great deal of consternation and pushback from Belgium's High Council for Artisanal Lambic Beers, Horrell. Horrell. <laughs> Horrell. Emily Horrell. <laughs> who vigorously claimed the term degenerated their traditional and rights to own the term goose. Jester King relented and introduced Method Traditionale instead as no good deed goes unpunished in craft beer, that compromise found its own critics. Uh, some brewers going so far as to call the entire venture a capitalistic marketing ploy to up prices of sour beers in America. Oh. That's a bit much. Uh, for this part, Stuffings wishes he could reverse the sequence. At this point, I view Method Traditional as the guild and the guild as separate. He explained, I see swag as a committee creating some recommendations. When it comes to sour beer, nomenclature, uh, taxonomy, and working with the BA to restructure the style guidelines for competitions like GABF, given the nature of how Method Traditional came about, there was a bit of time pressure from Horrell saying, we want this resolved. <laughs> they weren't going to sue us, but they wanted it resolved. <laughs> we felt it needed to happen in a shorter time frame. So what really came out of this whole big meeting, this article is long. I'm not going to read it all verbatim. But what it came down to is if you, uh, like the sours at GABF and at other competitions, like we just don't have good categorization for sour styles is what it boils down to. And they are trying to really hammer out these styles and make them a thing. Like locally, uh, we have uh, a wild yeast brewery that is doing what they're calling uh, Midwest fruit tarts. Like they have just decided that's a style. <laughs> like this guild would be nice to be able to swoop in and say, "Oh, actually, this is more like this that everyone else is doing." So, you know, kind of hammer out some details here, so everyone's not making up their own new beer categories. And it's a better name than Horrell. 
Swag. A bit. Uh, sorry, that name really tickled me. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like the idea of them getting together to try to work out some some guidelines. You know, people who, and, and you know, I'm, and I'm okay with Jester King, you know, people might be, you know, I, I assume people might have some issues because they're like, oh, well, I mean, look at what you called your, your, your method tradition out. And it's like, look, they know how difficult it can be to deal with, you know, stuff like this and trying to get the right style for their, the names of their, to get the beer to match whatever style it's supposed to be, which can help people decide what they want out of a beer. Uh, having some, you know, having some guidelines like that can be really helpful to brewers, can be helpful for purchasers. Uh, I, I, in general, I like this idea. So here's the issue with, and I feel like I do this every time. Like that's how I start in. my, that's how I start my, my statement. Um, so Don't here's take the a big issue wicked with, whiz in our uh, Cheerios. Come on. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I, just, just bringing around a little bit of the kind of a little background on, on style guides and, and everything that goes there. Um, you, it's the chicken or the egg concept, you know, do, do beer style guidelines, need to be made to have brewers have something to compete and and brew to or do style beer styles need to come behind and um bring in based on what brewers are creating and it's it, it you know it's do you get the style first and then you get people that brew to style or do you have the beer that's different and special and you have people that say Oh, we've got to make a whole new style to do that. Or the third option is you just create a um, you create a process. You create a, a guideline that is so open to interpretation that you can basically judge that beer based off some very loose guidelines and you're judging against other sour beers. Um, well, I mean, that that second point of that isn't that kind of how a lot of different beer styles would you, know, you in theory kind of come out you know you mm -hmm. you make a radically different thing and eventually that becomes its own thing if if it catches on if it catches if, on if it catches on nationally internationally that's the key like they've got to be similar enough so here's the problem I'm just saying, I'm just oh, saying, yeah. doubts caught on yeah and that's and that's how you get the style. Its own style yeah and then you had different categories of stout that were different, not necessarily drastically different, but different. You had your different oyster enough stout that, and your that, milk that, stouts. Yeah, different enough that there was some some mm -hmm. difference between them, and that you could tell empirically this is this kind of yeah, you know, this is this tastes this way, this tastes this way, while still being in that same sure larger family. And and so you look at this and you say, okay, what what about these styles that are out there now? Is it large enough to where you can incorporate these beers into that style and they're not too far off off the norm or do we want to go ahead and add another 15 different styles because that's how many new sour beers there are out there um every year it seems like that you get more and more you get fruited sours but you get a sour that's made with this bacteria that just came out and and so and because of that we've also got our style guideline that's expanding in size and we've got all these new guidelines that we're going to have to test on. So you're going to have to remember an additional 15 styles this year that you didn't have to remember to take your test last year um, to be a certified beer judge. And so th there's a lot of aspects there. Each 
I, I, I get a little fearful whenever it feels like this is a beer lobby and they're coming in and trying to say, okay, we're going to push our, our agenda. Just, just make, make a beer. Like, and, well, and, and that's I understand. Yeah. I understand that. But to the same extent, like it's, you know, you know, we get to that point of like, they are making some wildly drastically different styles, uh, sure. sours and having a way to judge them against similar things might be helpful. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, if you, because they're you know the idea I guess behind this is a little less heavy-handed as this is the now the, the this style this is what we will be called and it's like I think it's just more of like hey this could be called something like this or you know it it, it doesn't sound like they're going super hardcore on their stuff as opposed to to just being like hey let's let's make sure this is you know. Uh, it's possible you could make uh, like it might be like they say like hey maybe maybe uh, blueberry pancake sours are their own thing you know something like mm-hmm. that yeah um, that 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 feels more like they're saying like hey maybe this could be a a style or or maybe we could start defining this type of style like this as opposed to like this but not they they're not saying they're going to be the final word. Sure. So here's what we've got right now in in sours, as far as just what's categorized as sour ales. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about Belgian and French ales, which some of those can be, you know, sour in their own regard. But if you we, talk we. about just yeah, we, well, we. we we yes we we, um, we we here's here's the six that they've got there now: Berliner Weiss, Flanders Red, Flanders Brown, also known as the Old Bruin, um, Straight Unblended Lambic, Goose, and Goose. Fruit Lambic. I'm just saying there could be more styles. And I, I know that's yes. that makes it more complicated, but um like... but there is also the experimental or the specialty beer category. And so I think that may be where they're really trying to push because you're fighting with your really cool weird style sour against um uh, a grapefruit. Yeah, I say like you know you're I mean do, is it do you want to try to compare a grapefruit kumquat sour against a sati? Yeah, those are completely different things. Like they do not belong in the same category. Okay. Also, this is getting yeah. This conversation if we replace some words gets really dangerous. <laughs> it kind of does. Uh, there's some like, quotes. as he said that. I was like, oh, this sounds bad. Yeah. Um. <laughs> there's some quotes in here. Uh, if you you could cherry pick them out, but I was just like, kind of glancing through, and they were literally just popping. But it seems a lot of the brewers coming into this feel like the brewers association is either isn't listening to them or doesn't understand sours and they feel that this gathering of brewers is a better place to bring you know concerns that they have for sour beers as a whole and that they can get direct feedback and better feedback so hmm i don't know there's there's feels like there could be a lot, you know, they're, they're just starting. We don't know what's going to happen with this. They could, in fact, turn into an evil empire <laughs> that that destroys beer in, in and of itself, but that doesn't seem likely. I uh, mean, we may see them be able to pull their collective clout to be like, hey, uh, we think, you know, and go to the Brewers Association and say, we think X and X should make their own style. All of us have, you know decided that our beers that are very similar to this, we've all started labeling them as such and maybe start moving forward with that. But it does, like, sour beer 
needs to be defined more, especially with it starting to explode uh, well, here in the states. Yeah, there's there's more room for some some definitions in the experimental thing. Though I do understand Casey's point of there that you know these there there is that experimental category that yeah. you can if enough of them take hold or if they're if they're all noticing hey everyone seems to really dig this particular type of thing using this particular type of bacteria or whatever mm -hmm. maybe that is what they go to okay maybe we should coalesce this into a style and possibly. there was there was talk at some point of uh, just an american american sour and i don't know if it never made it in or what the deal was on that i feel like that's just super broad yeah. yeah, but I mean, there's, there's, because there's all kinds of, but American sours are mm. tending toward, um, towards some very blueberries. No, no, <laughs> they're they're just extremely sour. Whereas you get yeah. these these sour ales from sour uh, Europe, they're they're just slightly sour, and you know we're talking yeah, because there's a, there's a big difference in like a Berliner Weiss and uh, yeah. you know something that tastes like a warhead. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like a fermented yeah. warhead. Like a little sure. tart versus, oh my god, <laughs> pucker. Tart versus even my butthole puckered. Did I? I think that's it. Did it? Did it pucker? I don't <laughs> know. No, no, no. I'm just looking and seeing if, if I picked the right BJCP. Oh, wait, no. So we may we may have to scratch amend. everything I just said and amend it. Uh, retcon <laughs> here. Um, Let's go so. to the Wayback Machine. Here we go. Let's look at the look at the 2015. I think I was looking at like 2004. I thought oh, there was Jesus. Yeah, I thought there was more. more I did too. I was like, That's, that that seems really small. Since they changed everything up, um, believe me, I haven't studied this in probably a year now. Um, so Sati, those I knew historical beers had their own had their own thing, and so now European styles have their own it's all european sour ale so you, berliner flanders obrun um lambic goose and fruit lambic are all on their own and then on the american side i USA, think we, USA. there were supposed to be some american sourish beers sour beers um american brown stout and porter ipa strong american well aren't we all <laughs> If you look on, um, <laughs> just picturing, I'm picturing Hulk Hogan when I hear "Strong American," which is not appropriate. Real like American, here, just like a, I am real American. Here it is. Fine. All right, so uh, they they had the American Wild Ale. I knew I remembered something yeah. like that. The American Wild Ale category 28 um, has Brett-based beers, mixed fermentation sours, and wild specialty beers. So those are sort of those broad categories that that kind of get everything into it. Yeah, um, but. They need to, you know, separate those out a little more. Maybe. Maybe. I believe so. All right. We've been in uh, sour territory for way too long now. So I let's. Could, I could stay there longer. <laughs> or we could go to news and continue that. Well, well not really sour, but. Let's get into uh, Untapped. Get riggedy, riggedy, up! And we aren't really leaving the sour train, as it turns out. Choo choo. Yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of which, uh,. <clears throat> the only badge actually that we could find uh this time around there wasn't time sensitive a lot of them popped and are gone like they yeah. were with in a week that you had to get them it's a weird badge time uh but uh seafood and sea quench um so this is 
Honoring its strong roots along the Atlantic coast, Dogfish Head partnered with the National Aquarium to create Sea Quench Ale. This session sour is a mashup of a crisp Kolsch, a salty Gosa, and a tart Berliner Weiss, brewed with real lime peel, black limes, and sea salt. Uh, Sea Quench Ale takes you to a place of briny water, making it perfect for pairing with seafood. With October being National Seafood Month, and a shared focus on smart, sustainable sourcing, be sure to pick up Sequench Ale today. Um, I'm looking at this badge, and all I'm thinking right now is, man, I want some oysters. Mm. Or lobster. Those would probably be pretty good together. I don't even know if they're with that beer. They just I'm, There's oysters on the picture. I'm just <laughs> like, I want some right now. I love the picture of like the label anyway, cause of, because limes. Um, but so if you check into a se- one just one Sequench Ale... Um, One day I'm gonna I'm gonna genetically engineer pumpkins and lime into the same thing and just watch Britney's head explode. Yeah, that's about right. Lime. That'd be delicious. Lime. Lumpkin. Lumpkin. Or lumpkin. <laughs> it's officially lumpkin. Um, okay, so you have between uh, so basically now because it started it started October second and then and you have until the thirty first since it's just for the month of October, um, and the beer the badge is called seafood and sea quench. So, yeah, it's a it's a great it's Winch. like. Sequench. See that winch. <laughs> All right, and in lieu of other badges, the uh, untapped again because they are get, gathering a lot of data. Like people kind of forget about that, but they are gobbling up tons and tons of data. Uh, they had uh, top beers of summer 2017, so you could get it broken down by state. And this was all by this was by uh, rating. Didn't we go over this? Yeah, we went yeah, over, we this over this loosely before for uh, the state one, but they also had the top beer, like most checked in for overalls. Oh, there's a pumpkin one. Sorry. Scroll past the pumpkins. Oh. We're not on pumpkins. Why? <laughs> because they're bad and they should feel bad. Whoa, 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 no. You whoa. hurt me. All right, uh, most checked in do beers of summer, so... Uh, believe it or not, the all-day IPA from Founders Brewing Company led. Well, yeah, because they had a badge, I swear, for like two months straight. <laughs> yeah, that was one thing I wanted to look up, but I never actually got around to, is how many of these had badges during the summer. So that Because as we figured out during uh, the March Madness thing last year, or mm. this year, when badges are really influences the number of check-ins to these beers. <laughs> but the next one... Didn't have any badges recently. I don't yeah, think. didn't have any badges re- recently, but it's Guinness. They have, exit. But they have St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, but I mean Guinness for the summer. You don't really equate oh, the two. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I was like, wait, what? For this I was summer. thinking of it like oh, the whole year, not just summer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was the, number the two. The next few are just like yeah, sad. threes Heineken, <laughs> fours Bud Light, five Miller Light, six Corona. I mean, if I had to, if I had to put them in in an order, <laughs> uh, number seven. I might do a Heineken during the summer before I do the others, but number seven, <laughs> you have the best beer in the country rated uh, Bell's Two Hearted Ale. Best beer in the country, Casey. Best beer in the country, as voted uh, by who? <laughs> Everybody. Apparently. Didn't you get your know. Didn't you get your ballot? I voted for it. <laughs> All right, number eight. You had Lagunitas IPA uh, like, nine. I, th- I feel like Bell's Two Hearted being the number one beer is Casey's Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I like. Who that- voted for this? 
So, relating back to our news story, uh, you have Lagunitas and Goose at 8 and 9. <laughs> oh, I see what happened here. Huh? American Homebrewers Association. I did not uh, renew my membership, so I didn't get to vote. There you go. That's got a problem. Got to yeah. renew. <laughs> got to register to vote, Casey. Mm-hmm. And Yingling is at number 10. Yeah, Yingling. Uh, 11. Their bizarre distribution. Yeah. Sequence. Not hitting Kentucky sort of stuff. Sequence I know exactly just getting what a badge. Here. So, uh, but they are at number 11, so you can't, cl- you can't <laughs> blame it on the get your letters, Casey? Is that what happened? <laughs> did not get my letters. No. Um, think about it. Most of these breweries distribute towards, let's see. Yeah, all these are Midwest breweries. You know where the hmm. American Home Brewers Association has its best roots? Midwest. I was going to say, I'm going to guess well, Midwest. For the, well, no, for the, even in the top 10, Lagunitas is in California. And then, yeah, they're, and they're national distributors. Guinness is in Ireland. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, not these, not these, not these. Uh, oh. The top beers of. Yeah, as yeah. voted. Oh. I was still talking about this list. I was like, Casey, I'm yeah, I was like, pretty this is sure actually you're pretty high. spread out. <laughs> no. So there are some funny things in this Go list. Casey, you're drunk. <laughs> oh. Not yet he's not, but we'll get him there. So at 16, you had Sam Adams' Oktoberfest hmm. as a summer beer. <laughs> well, it does come out in August. So. But this is just about check-ins. Uh, and... <laughs> and and Cincinnati alone probably propels them up that high. Oh, yeah. yeah. During, and, during, one, during one weekend. But it's funny. At 16, you have the Sam Adams' Oktoberfest. And at 21, you have Sam Adams' Summer Ale. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's about right. <laughs> it sounds about right. That's like, yeah, no, I, I, I'm with Brittany. Uh, you got Brew Dog now coming up on there since they've got all their facilities I'm, coming in in Columbus. If they actually are marking this technically by wh- like when the season starts on the calendar, then yeah, Oktoberfest would actually factor in because it's not during yeah. fall. So yeah, that ha- that has to skew the numbers a bit, doesn't it? And I think it's <laughs> I mean, funny some of these are bound to, but it being yeah. that being the kind of event that it is, yeah, yeah no, it's gonna. <laughs> you have other Oktoberfests on here, like it is. It's kind of strange, but this is buy check-ins they give your full check-in numbers there quite a few yeah so uh, it's not 50 so i mean so yeah and the very near the very bottom of this Ah. list at number 49 you have dkml from founders brewing company the only thing that'll ever be listed so poorly to for them from founders yes uh, at 23,486 very unlucky individuals i am very surprised that the tangerine ipa citradelic is so low on the list uh, I mean, it's av- at 44. Availability, I think, plays a lot into these. Mm, I mean, the top 10. <laughs> so there's one of these. I was just kind of scrolling, and it says Peroni uh, Nastro Azuro from or whatever. I thought it said Pierogi. Mm-hmm. And was just like, man, Oktoberfest has a strong presence here. <laughs> <laughs> God, I'd go for some pierogies. Taking that food beer to a whole new level. All right. Uh, I think it's a blabbering for untapped data. I believe we actually have a topic. Give me time. I mean, not yet. Give it, give it time. Give it time. Uh, yeah, so we are talking about saisons today. Saison. Saison. Pour la saison, la saison. It's not Brazil. Oh, sorry, not French. No, 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 not in French. 
know. Uh, French for Saison is, uh, for, French for season. Saison was brewed under the, <laughs> yeah, Saison is French for Saison. Uh, no, uh, French for season. Saison was brewed under the suitable auspices of autumn uh, through early spring and laid down uh, through the searing wrath of summer. Uh, they were real. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Accurate. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm going to complain now because the, <laughs> the AC is off in my apartment and I'm melting in here. Uh, so, like, I just see that. I'm like, yes, this is accurate. And the beer helps. Uh, they were uh, reawakened uh, in late summer to nourish and refresh harvest laborers uh, and consumed well into fall and winter. Saison is a remnant of centuries past uh, rural Belgian farmhouse ales common to French-speaking uh, Wallonia? Sure. Especially the west parts of Flanders. There, softly contoured, uh, softly contoured flatlands and fields of dark, rich soil uh, buoyed prosperous uh, agrarian communities where wheat, oats, buckwheat, spelt... <laughs> and barley were cultivated uh, and included in uh, indigenous brews. Malting was often done on site, but raw grains were commonly used. I, I, I'm going to attribute this amazing wording to um, this, <laughs> this article is from All About Beer, so just to get like the resources out there. <laughs> it's fine. I'm just kind of looking at it going like, I mean, okay. Yeah. Uh, each farm or cooperative made their own dis distinctive brew often farmers shared equipment and brew houses and pooled resources ideas and skills to make communal concoctions competent brewing ensured that uh, a bumper batch of beer could be made if one crop or another was not up to snuff leading to even more variability of the native brews as trade increased exotic spices uh, partially replaced locally procured botanicals Brewers employed hops as an essential ingredient for its pleasant balancing flavor as uh, and, as importantly, antiseptic qualities. This was, after all, a beer for keeping, and liberal use of hops quashed microbial invaders and infused that bitter, resinous background. Mm. Casey has a huff. No, that was a cattail <laughs> moving across <laughs> my microphone. Could have gone either way. Yeah. So, I mean, sure. Uh, one of the earliest significant hop-growing regions of Europe straddled modern-day France and Belgium, essentially overlapping the seminal origins of the French and Belgian farmhouse ales, including the sibling of Saisons, the French Beer de God. Beer de God. <laughs> Un beer God. <laughs> yeah, so as brewing moved off the farms and into commercial hands, farmhouse ale producers uh, made use of the tiny country buildings as breweries. They were still produced with painstaking... Right now, all, now all I can think of is like, man, what if every man was his own brewer? Mm. Yeah. Truly, it would be a pain. We would only have beer. <laughs> they were still produced with painstaking uh, local sensibilities and flavor and individualistic whim as highly valued. Year-round brewing, thanks to refrigeration, and bottling became more common. Perhaps the availability of champagne bottles helped shape Champagne. Champagne. <laughs> helped shape the shape of the effervescence of Saison. Uh, they were no longer brewed exclusively for farmhands and everyday family consumption, but as regional specialties as well. Often existing traditional recipe was retained, but the gravity was increased up to as much as 8%. Uh, dosage wow. with... Heavy. Hmm? Is it heavy? Yeah. 
uh, dosage with the local beet sugar or exotic cane Havana sugar uh, offered a lively complex brew. Yeah, gotta agree. Uh, farmhouse brews meet the same fate that other regional specialties did in the latter half of the 19th century. Macro brewing imports and the <laughs> infatuation with pale lagers shoved small operations aside. If only by making indigenous products seem unglamorous, imagine that, the two world wars cut even more into the quaint brew houses. It's really hard to brew when there's shelling going on. Yeah. Nonetheless, a smattering survived until after the war, and Belgian Saison made an unhurried comeback. Modern technology allowed single proprietary yeast or blends thereof and a consistent product. But brewers kept all of the charm and character of traditional farmhouse ales. The fragile hold-on market share remained for 50 years. Wow. Until the most recent renaissance. That's, I mean, it is an old style, and yeah, it's hard to think about what the style alone has had to go through to remain to this day. Mustard gas. <laughs> that, that's that extra spice. You're the psalm. All right, so um, earlier we mentioned, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, BJCP. So um, this actually falls under category 25B on uh, BJCP. So, and it's just specifically listed as Saison, I believe. Um, to the aroma, yeah. Well, as a, sometimes they give them like weird. Absolutely. Also known as blah, blah, blah. Um, so the aroma. Also known as Jeff. Yeah. Also known as Cat's Bane. And <laughs> like, <laughs> something weird. Um, the aroma for Saisons should be very aromatic with fruity, spicy, and hoppy characteristics evident. Uh, esters can be fairly high to moderate. <laughs> uh, he passed out. Yep, we lost Bob. Um, and are often reminiscent of citrus fruits such as oranges or lemons. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> esters. Uh, the hops are low to moderate and are often spicy, floral, earthy, or fruity. Stronger versions can have a soft, spicy alcohol note. Um, low intensity, though. Spicy notes are typically peppery rather than like clove-like um, and can be up to moderately strong. Uh, subtle, complementary herb or spice additions are allowable but should not dominate. The malt character is typically slightly grainy in character and low in intensity. Darker and stronger versions will have more noticeable malt, with darker versions taking characteristics associated with grains of that color. So um, toasty or biscuity. Uh, it's also got caramelly, which all that sounds great. Um, Except I'm going to get caramelly going. I don't think you're a word. Yeah, they're just they're throwing it in there. It's fine. It should be a word, though. Uh, inversions where sourness is present instead of bitterness, um, some of the sour character can be detected. So, But it's like low to moderate. Uh, the appearance of a saison should be, um, well, pale versions are often a distinctive pale orange, but maybe pale golden to an amber in color, um, which is interesting because mine's totally that exact color. Um, darker versions may run from copper to dark brown. Long-lasting, dense, rocky white to ivory head is resulting in characteristic Belgian lace on the glass as it fades. Clarity is poor to good, though haze is not unexpected in this type of unfiltered beer. And it should be effervescent. 
Um, <laughs> this thing is bubbly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the flavor. So medium low to medium high fruity and spicy flavors supported by a low to medium soft malt character. Often with some grainy flavors. So it just kind of sounds like the whole spectrum, actually. I mean, it really... <laughs> it, when, which it kind of is, because there's different versions. When it's read out and you actually think about it and with the history of what this beer was, like when they started brewing it, you're like, it is literally a farm ground up <laughs> yeah. and with water run through it in a glass. That's about right. And hops. Yeah. Um, bitterness is typically moderate to high, although sourness can be present in place of bitterness. And uh, both, But both shouldn't be strong flavors at the same time. God, that would be crazy. Uh, attenuation is extremely high, which gives a characteristic dry finish essential to the style. A saison should never finish sweet. The fruity characteristic or character is frequently citrusy, um, with an orange or lemon, and the spices are typically peppery. Allow for a range of balance in the fruity spicy characteristics. This is often driven by the yeast selection. Hop flavor. I wonder if you can add like a pepper beer thing with a saison. Yeah, um, I think Braxton actually did one. Um, it was a it was a pepper. Um, okay. Saison. Like black pepper. Yeah, yeah. Like black pepper. Yeah, yeah. They did. yeah. I was um, just thinking about that as I was like, huh. It was pretty good. No, actually. it was delicious. Yeah, it was odd, but you know, but it, it was actually really good. Um, where oh, so the hop flavor is going to be low to moderate and generally spicy or earthy in character. The balance is toward the fruity, spicy, hoppy character with um, any bitterness or sourness not overwhelming these flavors. Uh, darker versions will have more malt character with a range of flavors derived from darker malts, which makes sense, um, that support the fruity, spicy character of the beer. Uh, stronger versions will have more malt flavor in general, as well as a light alcohol impression. Herbs and spices are completely optional, but if present, should be used in moderation and not detract from the yeast character. The Gotta finish... use at least 12 essential herbs and spices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the finish is very dry, and the aftertaste is typically bitter and spicy. The hot bitterness can be restrained, although it can seem um, accentuated due to the high attenuation levels. So... I always forget. What does attenuation mean? I'll talk about it here in a second. So, okay. to oh, talk about... Twelve herbs and spices. Since we're all from Kentucky, <laughs> is that kind of like our own Reinheitsgebot? Does Kentucky have like a chicken no. Reinheitsgebot? No, we don't, because we're not allowed. Even in Kentucky, we're not allowed allowed to know what those those herbs and spices are. I mean, we, we're all born just kind of knowing. The knowledge is in us. <laughs> you put us with some chicken, and it's gonna happen. <laughs> you put you in a chicken with a stock. You put you in a stocked kitchen with chicken and a fryer. And you 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 come out. And go. What happened? I, I don't know. I we have fried chicken. Do you know how to cook? No, I don't know what happened. I blacked out for a minute. It's something you're born into. I can't even light a stove. It just <laughs> the kernel flows through me. <laughs> oh, uh, yes, the corn kernel certainly does. <laughs> <laughs> that would be more accurate for us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, I think that's it, right? On yeah. Okay. Uh, on to mouthfeel. So light to medium body. And this beer is going to be more on, usually you'll see it more on the light side than the medium side. Mm -hmm. um, alcohol sensation will vary with strength from none 
uh, in the table versions, like the, the farm hands would normally drink that, uh, to very light and standard to uh, moderate in super versions of this beer. However, any warming character should be fairly low. This is beer to cool you off, right? Yeah. yeah. Very high carbonation with an effervescent quality. There is enough prickly acidity on the tongue to balance to a very dry finish. Inversions. Yeah, Inversions with sourness, a low, moderate, tart character can add a refreshing bite, but not puckery, not be puckery. So attenuation. Man, that, that, uh, that, that, that sentence right there, just like, man, I could go for one of those right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's one of the reasons I do like Saison's is because they've got that sourness, but not super, sa- like, it's yeah. not like Warhead, like you're saying. Yeah, not Warhead. So attenuation is the percentage of the sugars in a beer's... Uh, in a beer that have been fermented into alcohol. Mm. So for a for a beer like this, um, you'll have the yeast that come in just normal everyday yeast, like similar to a brew's yeast. They'll come in and they will attack most of those sugars and take care of them and and turn those into alcohol. But then you also have wild yeasts and other other yeasts that come in that are even better. Brett's amazingly good at fermenting everything. It'll ferment wood if you let it. <laughs> <laughs> Throw so, some steel in there, it's just fermented. What happened? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it'll. What it, this island does. That's it. <laughs> oh yeah. God. Uh, so the way this these beers typically get these additional yeasts in there they just i mean you're, you've got a beer that's there for a long time either they get in there through the the standard brewing process or they get in just because it's being stored over a long period of time um, Magic so, wands, things like that yeah so e- each farm may have actually had its own strain so you would go to one farm and it would taste one way and another farm would taste another just because the yeasts but those yeasts will actually start breaking down all these sugars and i think this is probably a really good episode that we could do at some point on doing um just the malt turning into sugars and what the what the process of that that breaking down the the starches into sugars what those sugar types are and then what yeast can attack those sugars speaking of video episode just have that going on in the background the whole time (laughs) yeah um, so with this high attenuation, that means that more of those sugars, which can, can be thickening, uh, to some extent, you've got longer chain sugars, sugars that are not so simple that are a little bit longer and they are hard for yeast to kind of wrap their mouths around, if you will, um, and bring them into yeast really don't have mouths per se, but it's, it's harder for yeast to get around those. pseudo mouths. Harder for yeast to get around those, and so they don't break those down normally in a normal beer, and that's what leads to thickness in a beer, and that's what brings you uh, medium body and heavy body beers. Okay, so if you've got all these additional, like Brad, if you've got all these additional um, yeasts in there that are really good at breaking down everything, but they also put off some off flavors like tartness um, and a little bit of that barnyard character that we sometimes talk about. Mm-hmm. Those are going to increase the uh, alcohol content a little bit, but mostly they're going to just reduce the, reduce the body and increase the sourness. Okay. And so you'll have a more watery-feeling beer or more light-bodied beer and a little bit more sourness to it because of the, the breakdown of those sugars. That right. also, because of the super, you know, super yeasts here, it will also increase your effervescence, that carbonation level. Um, because of the additional action that's going on, they'll they'll just get a whole lot more carbonation in there. 
what what's that um it's a it's a molson thing i think that's a saison uh le fin du Monde. Mm-hmm. oh okay yeah the the canadian uh, yeah, they they have theirs wrapped like a champagne bottle, if I'm not mistaken, like little metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. I don't think it's got the. Yeah, it's got the cage over, cage and cork. Yeah, it's the cage and cork, but it's got like the little like. I feel like you've got like, or if it's not like at the over the cap, it's at least or over the cork, but it's at least you know, on the bottle. Because I remember like tearing that stuff off one time when we when we had it up my up here, and I was just yeah. like, and like and so like when I think of like it being very, very effervescent, I'm like, yeah, no. They really wanted to make it like champagne. Yeah. Yeah. So that one's the triple style, but yeah, very similar. You see the same thing um, done in a lot of the the traditional uh, champagne-like beers. Um, you'll see that Cajun cork just to kind of make it, you know, you like that little pop that comes off. No, uh, I don't. No pop. <laughs> scares you. No, it's not that. It's just your your. You're ruining it that way. Champagne should not be. <laughs> oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Yes, yes. No, no loud noises. You need just the hiss. It means you've done it right. <laughs> so, uh, variation variations in the style can exist in strength and color. They all should have that same characteristic of um, of a saison and that balance in there. They're very refreshing, highly attenuated, which means again low uh, low body and uh, a little bit better alcohol conversion. Um, now I have low rider stuck in my head. <laughs> uh, which makes them have that drier character. It's a dry beer. These, like it said earlier, should not be sweet. Um, there's no color, co- correlation, though. They, I'm surprised they actually remind brewers, or remind the judges this. There's no correlation between strength and color. That's kind of funny they actually have to remind brewers that because um, – Usually we know that you can add color and it not be strong. You know, you, you see these yeah. guys talking, oh, Guinness, that's too strong for me. Well, it's lighter than that, but light you're drinking there or, or very close to it, if not. Yeah. Um, 110 calories and super light beer. Yeah. Uh, but the family resemblance to the original artisanal L should be a very ev- evident, even if they change somewhat in color and strength. Uh, pale versions are more likely to be bitter and have a hop character to them, while darker versions tend to have more of a malt character. Just the way it goes. Sweetness will yield more of a balanced presentation in those versions. Um, stronger versions will also have uh, a little bit more richness and a little bit more body due to their higher starting gravity. Um, it's harder for that yeast to chew through. So some of those other yeasts out there, they're good at breaking down all kinds of different things, but it takes them a little bit longer to do it. So you've got those additional yeasts in there chewing through these these. Uh, larger chain sugars it takes them a little bit longer to do it so if you pull that out early you actually will may maintain a little bit of that medium body but you're going to have a medium body with a bigger beer so now i'm thinking of brewing archimedes uh as like give me give me enough time and enough yeast and i'll ferment the world <laughs> yeah yeah actually. i could see i could see yeast taking the over the world uh <laughs> Uh, the saison yeast character, though, is a must, uh, even in all these all these beers. Um, that's that's pretty much you just have to taste some saisons and see what they taste like. And and uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the the traditional ones, but I've got one specific saison that is probably the most traditional, the one that's got most of that character to me at least. Um, often called farmhouse ales in the U.S., but not common to be called that in Europe, where they're just part of a larger grouping of artisanal ales. Uh, K 
characteristically, the ingredients are no spice with yeast, hops, and grain providing most of the character. Spices are allowed if they complement it. Um, some people will add a little bit of uh, coriander in there, um, something that's not super overpowering. I've had some coriander beers that are very um, overpowering. Yes. On this end. Yeah. I've been turned off on coriander by a couple of beers. Gonna Gonna point some fingers at New Holland on that one. Hmm. Uh the Altec is my my really bad coriander beer. The the blue and white beers were horrible. Oh. Um, adjuncts such as sugar and honey can also serve to add complexity and dry out the beer. Um, you can use some dark, rich malts, but typically not roasty malts. You don't want to have a, like a an acrid, burnt flavor in this. You don't want to have a chocolate beer. It's it's more think of like brown ale. You just want to brown it up a little bit and not necessarily add a whole lot of that <laughs> super complex stuff. That's just, what I, she I said? could just hear someone was like, "You don't want a chocolate beer." Maybe you don't. <laughs> not it, do. it, it, not so, for a saison. But yeah. it's very anything. difficult to add sour and dark together. It's, it's oh, yeah, such yeah. a weird combination. Go go talk to Urban Artifact. <laughs> yeah, it, it's difficult. I'm not saying it can't be done. It's just difficult. Yeah. Um, Sauzer, so Saz type uh, hops, Stirin or East Kent Golding hops are typically used. Um, not a whole lot of character there other than that traditional um, European style. I mean, they're not throwing some galaxy and some citra in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's there's some American brewers out there that are that are going that direction, but traditionally, that's yeah. that's what we kind of look at is what the traditional flavor is, and these I, come from Europe mostly. So yeah, I would say I would honestly from. not want that in yeah. a saison. Yeah. I would, would definitely not want that citra punch. Like no. So, um, and the way it's talking here, it's, so we talked a little bit about Brett, but it's going to break those off. So the Brett style, the Brett beers, um, the ones that are going to add a little bit more funk to it, they're actually wanting you to take those and put them over into the American Wild Ale category instead of in, um, in this category. Even if, so these beers typically would have contained some amount of Brett Britannomyces is what it what it is, but um, they would have contained some amount of that. Uh, if it's got a super Brett character, if it has a lot of that horse blanket barnyard smell, you would go over in the American Wild Ale category. Um, so this is a standard strength and pale color kind of beer. Um, that's the most common. Very highly attenuated, hoppy and bitter Belgian blonde ale, maybe, is what you can kind of compare it to with a stronger yeast character. At super strength, the pale color, um, similar to maybe a Belgian triple, but often with a little bit more grainy, rustic quality, and sometimes with a spicier yeast character. Uh, the spiciness is coming from the yeast, not necessarily any added spices. Um, the original gravity, it doesn't list here, but that's you use your original gravity and then look at your final gravity to see what your attenuation is. So it's a percentage. Um, you can have like 90% attenuation, and that's like really good, really high. Uh, so for this one, you're, or for normal beers that you're looking at that aren't like American light lagers or something along those lines, your normal ales, you're seeing a final gravity somewhere around 1.01. These beers, the closer you get to one, the, the more attenuated they are and the more uh, close to water's density you get. So these are like 1.002. So it's about, um, what is that? Eight one thousandths. That, that it's, I mean, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good distance below. Whenever it's like 
20% of what you would normally have a beer finish at. Hmm. Um, so it, it's about I don't know, five times lighter on, on that scale. Um, but it can go up to 1.008. Um, ABV is low for some of the table ones. You're looking at 35 to 5% usually. Um, and five to seven with your dark versions and seven to, um, seven to 9% in the super versions. Again, cool. traditionally it's, it's the table or, yeah. uh, standard. I don't I think could, I've ever seen um, one that's gone that high. I could not see a, a nine, five in this. Saison. Yeah. Um, and they're, and they're like, they're, they're putting that in the system so that they can bring in some of these cool, outside the box saisons and you know this is different from everything else and so you're bringing it into a competition that's that's the reason they write these the way they do the uh phantom saison i've had that one it was really good um i've had a couple of these i think i've had the boulevard tank seven but the one that is closest to funny i have too <laughs> uh the one i think is the closest to the traditional saison flavor and what you should really look at is the saison dupont and that that's probably the closest it's got these yeah it's yellow and greenish label looks like a, a racing checkered flag with uh yellow and green instead of white and black find it it's good um it's pretty readily available throughout the u.s i think that's the one probably i, I would imagine most people are familiar with if they think of a saison like that yeah. that name stood out to me um, oh yeah, yeah that's, that's what I was looking that's for. That's what the style is made after, pretty much. Yeah, I couldn't find one. I know I can find them around here, but it was just when I went out hunting, it was like suddenly no saisons were available that I wanted. So I was like, oh, I was like, oh, I've oh. got to get a saison Dupont, and no, could not find one. Sorry, it's it's a green label with a yellow and white. I had to go look it up just now, but it's yellow and white checker on it. But yeah. It's green label one so the, or the other. Those are like the, the biggest probably commercial examples, but um, I haven't had a ton of Saisons, but I have to say like my favorite ones are um, that Opal from Firestone Walker, mm. um, the Off Color. Um, I can't remember the name of theirs though, what it's called, but it's a Saison style, obviously. Uh, and then um, the uh, the Farmhouse Ale from um, Omegang. Mm, yes I, I think theirs is one of the best um Let's see what that one is um you mean the the hennepin hennepin saison yeah hennepin yes that's it yep seems apex predator is apex predator yes from, from off, off color. color that that one's really good um then kills all the other saisons <laughs> uh it's... we do have a link down there at the um that we'll share with everybody and um that is so it's from craftbeer.com and they've been helpful uh just the way they have this like the pages laid out for certain beer styles um it's got like it's essentially like a, a graphical bullet pointed version essentially it, but it also t it tells you like what temperature to serve it at what glass you should use and some food pairings um which for saison it says uh seafood mm -hmm. Um, mm. <laughs> brie and yeah. oddly specific lemon ginger sorbet. I can don't want that. Things. Want the other things. <laughs> so the that's I want some. I want some mussels soaked in brie. <laughs> um, that's funny that you mentioned. Well, I had mussels with the whenever I had the Phantom saison. That I had mussels with it. It was mm. delicious. Um, the hennepin 
farmhouse saison is uh, brewed with grains of paradise, which have a little spicy character to them, kind of like a peppery type flavor. Mm. Uh, coriander, ginger, and sweet orange peel. So that citrus ginger yeah. comes through in that beer. Yeah. Must be a, a pretty good combo. Indeed, it, it does. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, and interestingly, it so at the bottom of this that page, it lists um, other styles you may like if you like the saison. Uh, American pale ale the German style Pilsner and a session beer. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, okay. I guess. Sure. Yeah. The German style Pilsner, I could see because it's not as powerful on the hop side. It's not as bitter as that. Um, the, the other style, the, uh, the, 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 the one with the heavy saws mm. hops. Yeah. Uh, I'm drawing a blank, but you, you all know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that, uh, any final Saison. thoughts on, on Saison's? They're delicious. Yeah, they are. I think it was like, I mean, I didn't, nothing like major stood out of like, oh, I learned this today. Um, oddly no. enough, like, I, I think we were pretty straight. Saison history is pretty straightforward. <laughs> really? Because I learned a few things. I learned a few things, but it, it, it is that it's what I like to think of the history of most beer. Just people making whatever they could in their farm. Hmm. Like here. The history of beer is the history of a region. Yeah. And however that region develops is however, you mm. know, people will make beer. That's the that's the key. Yeah. It's the just theme. a matter of what's going on we'll in that find area. A way. The theme of history is people will put invent them, things. You put them in prison, they'll find a way. Find a way. <laughs> beer uh, finds a way. <laughs> it does. Um, but before we move on to what we're drinking, Casey, you want to give us a quick update on what our homebrew is doing? Yeah, so it's speaking uh, of beer finding a way. Yeah, it, it went good and fast, which I'm really happy with. Uh, everything by day by the end of like day one when we got finished brewing it, it was bubbling away, which is a good sign. You want quick fermentation um, activity. It gets the yeast uh, head start ahead in case there were there there are a few bugs I'm sure that got in there just attached to dust that get in there and and so you want get, to get the yeast. A head start before those bugs ever latch on and start doing anything so we doubled up the yeast when we put it in we put in two packs instead of just one got us a really quick really fast and heavy fermentation meaning that um i made sure that i put that bucket into the sink before i walked out he was sharing and pictures with us he didn't, want, he didn't he didn't want a balloon exploding in your bathroom again <laughs> no um and luckily the well not luckily but they designed these firm these uh stoppers the 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 airlocks mm-hmm. to take yeah. a little bit extra fermentation pressure than than you know a balloon with a hole poked in it <laughs> um so luckily i was able to make sure that was up in the sink and and it took off really well by day two i think it was at least day three we had um fermentation activity so good it was like coming up inside the airlock and blowing yeast out of the airlock itself which is which is perfectly fine you know that stuff's going out not back in it just means there's a lot of there's a lot of yeast that that is in there and working so we probably had about a half a cup maybe a whole cup of yeast that came out of the airlock itself so it multiplied and and i would take the little little spray hose and attach to the sink there and spray it down every day or so and make sure you know anything that was on the outside wasn't trying to attract any fruit flies they can they can be a nuisance so oh god can't they <laughs> yes those potatoes um so it Gourd. is i think we thought it was the we thought, we it, thought was... it was a number of things but let's that's that's the, an off that's an off record that's an off record yeah, that's conversation. 
Okay. So, uh, anyways, we're ready to probably. I want to do the the counter pressure fill on the. Well, not counter pressure, but I'm going to do a bottle fill on this one, um, based out of. So I'll put it in the keg to start, and then after I put it in the keg, I'll put some CO2 on it at a high pressure, um, let it start pressurizing to probably 10 to 12 psi. I think is where I'm going to end up being, um, and. That should give us somewhere around two and a half volumes of CO2. We can talk about that in a future episode of what that means, but um, it's not going to be super carbonated. It'll be sort of a little bit more uh, toward the middle of the line. Um, I think somewhere around two is the low end. Three is the higher end, somewhere around there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so once I get into the keg and we get it carbonated here at about – what really takes the longest time is just chilling five gallons down um, inside of a fridge, getting it cold. And so after it chills, as it chills, it's able to absorb more CO2. Um, cold liquids can absorb more CO2 than, than warm liquids. And so um, it should absorb enough to be completely carbonated within about three or four days. And at that point, I'll take a uh, bottle filler and we can fill bottles and cap them without having to let the yeast referment inside. It's uh, it's not counter pressure. It's, it's sort of a, just as long as your bottles are cold and your beer is cold, it won't foam up much and you cap on foam. That so sounds, that kind of helps it. Sounds like that'll be yeah. a fun uh, Thanksgiving activity. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it could be over the next couple of days. We'll be drinking by Thanksgiving. Oh, jeez. Yeah, right. let, I always like to give it a couple days to settle it once it gets into the bottle, let it kind of condition a little bit, because even though it's it's done, it's not necessarily tamed yet. It's kind <laughs> yeah, of a, back, a little while. Um, it needs a, a few minutes, or a few days to kind of round out the flavors and, and just get... Uh, it, it, there's a green beer flavor that people talk about, and that's whenever you bottle a little too close to when you're going to drink it. Uh, and so okay. let it get rid of that. Yeah, I'm really yep. interested to see how like the uh, <clears throat> the vanilla turns out. That last oh, mm. last minute addition of oh, I'll just throw a fistful of fresh vanilla. Yeah, vanilla beans. Huh. I just looked over here, by the way, and noticed that I have an entire book on farmhouse ales. <laughs> I had no idea that I had just, that. It just showed up. Or, that, that may have been that could have proven useful. <laughs> I've got it's got like uh, let's see how many pages on. Oh, probably 45 pages on the history of Saison. Oh, well. I don't think we would have had time for that. Speaking <laughs> of which, uh, let's dive into what we're drinking. Drink with me, friend. Okay, so I'll just The person start... not a fan of what they're drinking, yeah, start. I'll just, I'll just start with the uh, all the all the basics here. It's called Nadia Kali. Uh, it's from Great Divide. The style is a, it's a hibiscus saison. Uh, it's a 6.3% ABV. Uh, the beer advocate score is 3.69 out of 5. Um, the description, it's inspired saison with cross-cultural influences. Um, Nadia's ruby pink glow comes from a generous infusion of hibiscus, while ginger root gives it a subtle spice and hint of woodsy maturity. And lemon peel adds a citrus tartness to keep you on your toes. Ginger and lemon. Yep. Full of complexity and intrigue, this unfiltered beauty will show you just how deceiving looks can be. Um, yeah, the, the color was drastic because he um, had the, the paler variety of the Saison, and mine was definitely like the the medium like amber color. It was really 
the differences between like when we do the Oktoberfest. Yeah. When you put a fest beer next to a Meritzen and you're just like, whoa, what's okay. going on there? Yeah. Um, that was a crazy color difference, but uh, I am not a fan of this beer. It's it's not oh. the worst thing I've ever had. Um, I gave it a two seven five on on Untapped, but it's just I, I and I don't know which flavor it is. That's, I'm gonna guess that's, the ginger is what you don't like because you don't like ginger. But I can't even. That's yeah, true. The thing is, and I, I don't. But the thing is, I can't um, distinguish the flavors to know which one is is more off putting to me. Like I like to imagine that you go like I don't. I don't know ginger all the time when I see it, but I know when I don't like it. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> which which yeah. do I hate the most? That's well, and I I know I like hibiscus after the the you know bartender thing that we did that time. Um, you could just eat raw hibiscus leaves. Yeah, that was t- delicious. Uh, I know I like lemon. I I've had ginger and other things that I didn't hate. I just I don't know something about it is a little not great, and it's definitely not on my list of top saisons. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's that that sucks. But sure, I tried something new for Saison and just was not a fan. Well, it's okay. Yeah, it happens. Uh, well, I grabbed uh, grabbed a couple of Saisons today, which was just good. In case. Turned out it was good. It was a good call. <laughs> uh, uh, the one I ended up doing for the episode was uh, both of them. I drank both <laughs> kinds because I ran out of one. Uh, but the one we're talking about is, uh, Tank 7, uh, Tank 7 Farmhouse Ale from, uh, Boulevard Brewing, uh, it's their Saison slash Farmhouse Ale. It's, uh, 8.5% ABV. Ooh, pretty high. Up, up there, yeah. yeah. 38 IBUs, uh, beer advocate score of, uh, 4.17. Wow. Uh, and the brewery description is, when our brewers were experimenting with the variations on traditional Belgian-style farmhouse ale, the perfect combination of elements came together. Oh, pardon me. Came together in the uh, fermenter, number seven. You call, you could uh, you could call it fate, but they called it Tank 7. <laughs> so it is. Beginning with a big surge of fruity aromatics and grapefruit hoppy notes, its complex flavor and straw-colored uh, straw ale tapers off to a peppery dry finish. Huh. Uh, I finished that um, forever ago. Like, we were just <laughs> finishing up news. Sure. Um, so easy drinking. It was easy drinking. Um, it did have yeah. a little bit of... That alcohol content. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it did have a bit of... Uh, I took some notes because I was pretty sure I was going to finish this before we got too far. Mm. Uh, it had a bit of, like, a horse blanket kind of flavor, but it was a very clear straw-colored thing. There was some, some little particulate. Mm-hmm. In it, but that's kind of what I kind of expected a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, it it did have a very kind of dry finish, uh, and it, it it was pretty solid. Now the beer I followed up with that, as we did the episode, I liked a little bit more. Like if I was rating the other one, I'd give it like a four point, you know, four point zero. I'd give this other one like a four point two five. Oh, so, so that's. But to talk about that other one, let's go to Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why it's a good thing he got a couple because I grabbed a couple, but that means it was one for me and one for Brittany. Yeah. So uh, I was drinking his follow-up beer. Uh, it's gonna be the Hennepin Farmhouse Saison from oh. Brewery Omegang. So yes, it's a Saison coming in at seven point seven percent. So me and Justin went with awesome. the high-end ABVs. Seriously. Is it also? Fairly high end. 
Yeah. Uh, low end on the IBUs, only 24. So it has a beer advocate score of 4.15. Uh, Brewer's description, this style is a farmhouse ale and is considered to be in the domain of the Belgian Saisons. Hennepin is a delicious brew for all seasons. It is a spicy and refreshing, a moderately hopped farmhouse style ale with a champagne-like effervescence. Hennepin has a crisp start followed by malt sweetness balanced with a firm bitterness. Hennepin is a bounty of great flavors, ginger, spice, orange, and toasted grain. Pouring a bright golden color with a spicy sweet balance of orange peel, sweet malt, hops, and ginger. Hennepin makes way for a dry finish with a slight bite of ginger. I feel like all this ginger means Brittany would not like this one. I see, and and that's actually, I love that one. I've actually had it, um, uh, I've had it before, which is why he chose to drink that one um, of the two that we had. Because I had not had the Hennepin. Yeah. It wasn't like, yeah, oh, not, you had that one and liked it. Just because had me. had it. Hey, but no, you don't get this one. It's mine now. Well. No, it's because I hadn't actually had a Hennepin, and it was delicious. I mm-hmm. loved it. I would drink that. If I'm out anywhere and I see that, I would I would gobble it up in a second. Oh, yeah. It's, that was delicious. It is, it's one of the refreshing it. ones that it talks about, like in the, the main description mm-hmm. of the style. And it, it really does have that kind of like champagne style. Oh, yeah. Provescence. Uh, okay. Well, it doesn't have the cork and cage, oh, but... I just meant like that 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 you know, you drink it and it's just the bubbles. bubbles. Yeah. Very much, yes. Uh, I was burping a lot this episode <laughs> because of that. But after that, I tiny did... bubbles on yes. our tongues. They make us happy, Chris. They do. But I switched and I drank like most of what she had left of the one she didn't like, and I it, hers was way too dry. It mm. it just wasn't good on the palate, and so to wash hers out of my mouth, I grabbed a smoked porter. That's what I tasted. <laughs> that was smoky. I, I, t- I sent him a note because I was like, well, because at the time uh, Casey was talking and I, he he made me try the beer that he just grabbed. And I was like, it tastes like a smoked Tootsie Roll, so it's a, <laughs> which it's is delicious. <laughs> creep show smoked porter from Warped Wing. Mm. Hmm. I Smoked beers, man. I just. Uh, OK, uh, Casey, what do you what do you what do you want? I am not to stall. Also, not Gasp. beer. This is Gasp! Uh, I'm drinking uh, the Balvany 12 year old double wood. Oh, yeah. um, Speyside single malt scotch. Uh, mm-hmm. Starts off in whiskey oak and then finishes in sherry oak barrels. Mm. I don't know why, but all that popped in my head just then was a scotch, 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 scotch. <laughs> Instead of the shots, doing scotch. Yes. yes. So my brain did. All right, guys. Uh, okay, then. Well, uh, I guess that pretty much wraps up the episode. It's another one in the books. Uh, hopefully you learned something as we did, or at least I did, with Saison's. If they wanted to learn more things, Casey, where could they go? They could go to subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. You can follow us at Have a Drink Show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and now YouTube. And please rate the show on iTunes and YouTube to help spread the word. And don't forget, you can t- tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. Use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. Or you can use the feedback page on the website. Indeed. All joking and fun aside, I'd like to remind everyone, as always, please drink responsibly. Mm-hmm. I'm locked in a cage right now. I can't go anywhere. No driving <laughs> for me. I mean... I tend to follow the uh, stuff you should know motto, and that's uh, 
Mike's on pants off. So without the pants, I'm not going anywhere. Mike's on pants off. That's the way we like to podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, so check us out next Saturday for our next live video episode and in a couple of weeks for the next audio episode. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. It's so hot.